welcome to Texas Storytellers. Woo! I'm Terry Woods. And I'm Mark Hader. And uh, Terry, we have got a show today. We do. We do. We're brought to you We're... by Woodlands Online. Get out of here. Yep. Son of gun. And uh, producer Justin. Get out of here too. Justin Woods. I know I, that man. I've, I've heard that name before. Yeah. But anyway, forget those people. Okay. We've got a show. We're going to talk about, uh, for one thing, gun smoke. <laughs> about and it it does relate to Texas, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get me started, uh, but I will later. Also, some ghost stories. Oh, uh, I love I a Texas ghost stories. Developed story. a few. Did I didn't develop them? People, that's making stuff up, and I didn't. These are actually marginally true stories. And of course, if we have time, I've got an article from twenty years back. Just to put people in the mood. We probably don't have enough time for it, but we will see. And you have. I do. I have a couple of stories. One is uh, just a little bit ago about um, a very recent Cinco de Mayo where Ooh, the wow. author had a chance to explain what Cinco de Mayo really is. Ooh. And then there's, a, then there's another one that's uh, probably more toward the end um, about... Uh, uh, Polio in Texas. Oh, do I remember that? Yeah, I yeah. kind of do too. They'd get a shot. Then we got a sugar cube for it. I think that was for polio. We'll talk about that later. Uh, by the way, Terry, if this wasn't important, I wouldn't interrupt us for it. But I don't know if you're aware, but I just learned today. Coca-Cola is coming out with a coffee-flavored Coca-Cola. Did you oh. know that? <laughs> Coca-Cola and coffee. Man, Just I don't think know. think about it. Exactly. You know, and I heard that what's happening now is Pepsi, to compete, they're coming out with a mustard-flavored Pepsi. Now, that part is completely made up, but the uh, coffee part isn't. Mustard-flavored. Yeah. And, Terry, I saw, I was wondering, you know, in all the commercials about coffee, they show the, the people out there, many of them peasants, picking individual coffee beans. And my thought was, as many people that drink coffee across this world, how on or how many people would it take to do this for coffee beans? And I found a machine. It's like, a, I don't know if you've ever seen a grape uh, harvesting machine. This is like it, only taller. It goes through these coffee trees and just, it fans oh, the really? daylights out of them. Yeah, hit oh, blades hit it. well, that's good, because that's probably why I get a good cup of coffee every morning. Well, not necessarily, because whenever the uh, the guy was picking them, he picked, okay, I just want the right bean, and he's doing this, and the machine just, <laughs> I'm taking it all, buddy. And uh, they take the green, the red, and all, and, I'm, uh, and the black, and I'm assuming they uh, sort it out. I just wanted to share that with you and with uh, the uh, viewers here today. Just fascinating stuff, Terry. By the way, your weekend, everything uh, went well? Yeah, uh, everything's fine. It's pretty quiet. Yeah, you're looking good. What oh, did you thank do? thank you. Well, I'm joking, Terry. You don't have to tell me. I did go to the beauty shop. Oh, wow. I know. Your beauty person is still working. Kay's hair person is not. Well. I'm going to have to cut her hair. He... Just started back. Oh, I brought my uh, mask, which uh, uh, I should be wearing now because you're so close. But if you will, just breathe through your right nostril. I'm. That's all I ask of you. By the way, getting serious and sobering up here, Terry. I've got a story I found, and it's about a 
a person who tells stories. I'm sorry, that's not what it's about. The person who tells stories wrote this one. Uh, I researched him because I had never heard of him before, and that's very sad. His name's uh, W.F. Strong, and he is a storyteller. He's got a TV uh, show on one of these channels we don't get, uh, cable In vision, whatever. One of those things, too. Mm -hmm. And he just, his voice is perfect. He's got credentials out the wazoo, professor of communications, University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. Uh, have you ever been? I haven't either. It was. No. It's located down there, uh, close to Brownsville, way in the the. Uh, oh, okay. Close to the. Uh, I probably knew that on some level. Oh, you knew. Uh, he wrote his dissertation on Mark Twain's uh, speaking. He developed intense uh, interest in storytelling. This W. F. Strong is just known all over the world, except by not the world, but to most of the state and actually a lot of the people in the nation who are in the know of whom I am not know this guy. And um, anyway, I, I went and I found one of his stories, and he was talking about the TV series Gunsmoke. Uh, did you ever, uh, you've heard of it, haven't you, Terry? Terry watched Gunsmoke, too. I did, too. Some of y'all probably don't remember uh, me watching Gunsmoke, but uh, I watched oh, it. It went all the way up to the 70s, yeah, I think. Yeah, it was uh, the 70s. 1955 to 1975, and mm -hmm. they made a movie I think it was in 98 with a very old James Arness, and they should never do that. Uh, I'd like to remember him the way he was. I but, didn't uh, know they made a movie. These, by the way, these uh, glass straps are killers. Anyway, uh, this uh, W.F. Strong, we're going to hear more about this guy because uh, he's fascinating. Anyway, this is called The Gunsmoke Rule, and it is going to touch onto uh, Texas. Okay. Just we don't think for a minute it won't. Right. Okay, have you ever heard of the Gunsmoke Rule? It was created several years ago by TV ratings guru Bill Gorman. And who can forget Bill Gorman? Anyway, he noticed that sports cable channel shows like ESPN, First Take, I haven't heard of that one either, were being beaten by Gunsmoke reruns. In fact, Newsday found in a sample of uh, a few years ago that all but seven of the 276 sports programs on cable television on one day were beaten by Gunsmoke. 276 sports channels, all but seven of them, the ratings of 40-year-old uh, Gunsmoke shows were beating them. That wow. just stinks on ice. So the message to sports shows uh, through the, because of that, um, the message to sports shows is that programmers, if you're not beating Gunsmoke, uh, you've got little to crow about. So, in other words, their goal was, that's a Gunsmoke. We've got to beat Gunsmoke. <laughs> that being said, when Gunsmoke was actually on the air uh, in prime time between 1955 and 1975, it was often the number one show on television. It was enormously popular in Texas. As a kid, I remember it being the last show I could watch Saturday night before being rushed off to bed. I always felt deeply connected to the culture of the show and I recently learned why. Not long ago, I was visiting with an old friend and colleague, Dr. Jack Stanley, another person I'd know nothing about, who wrote his dissertation on gun smoke. Oh, my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, had I known you could get a doctorate degree on a TV show, have gun travel, I would be Dr. Hader right this minute because I know so much about that stuff. But that's what this guy got. Anyway, they were discussing... Uh, 
the show to him, Gunsmoke, and this guy that did the dissertation on it said, did you know that Matt Dillon was a Texan? Uh, I need to clarify one thing here because when I read that, I said, I don't think James Arness was a Texan. But the character but was. But the character was. Okay. And you know something? Um, well, I'll read it to you instead of just tell you. Thank because you. I'm not the storyteller in this case, but I know all of that. <laughs> I'm sorry I touched you. You got the virus. Anyway, um, Dylan is a central character of Gunsmoke, the U.S. Marshal of Dodge City, Kansas. In the series, he often goes to Texas to bring back a bad guy. Uh, I didn't know, though, that Matt Dillon was from Texas. It's true. Jack told me that in the last made-for-TV Gunsmoke movie, One Man's Justice, which aired in 1994, not 1998 like you told me, uh, it was revealed that Matt was born in San Antonio. His father was, in oh. fact, a Texas Ranger and was killed in the line of duty. But Matt didn't move immediately in the direction of becoming a lawman. The movie reveals he spent some years in the Texas panhandle where he sold his uh, wild oats and crossed paths with outlaws who tried to corrupt him. He resisted and moved on to Kansas where he followed in his father's footsteps and became a U.S. Marshal, the iron-handed law man of uh, Dodge City. By the way, if you go to the Texas Panhandle to sow your wild oats, you're not going to have a lot of wild times there. I don't think. I don't know how Dylan did. I mean, that's desert in uh, the town of Childress. If I'm, well, Childress may not be there. I know Amarillo is. Anyway, but let's move along. Quit bothering me, would you? Uh... Anyway, another thing you might not know is that the show was uh, originally on the radio. I did know that. I did know that. Do you remember the uh, guy who played him on the radio? Mm -mm. And I'm just, Kay wouldn't know. Kay doesn't know so many things about Westerns, but I know this thing. And actually, uh, uh, WF, <laughs> WF Strong uh, is going to tell us right here. Um, around, listen to this. This is what uh, Matt Dillon on the radio said. And his name was Robert Conrad, and he had a, a TV. He had a very oh. low voice. Had a TV called a show called Cannon. Yeah. I think he was a lawyer or a detective. Anyway, that being said, on the radio, uh, Matt Dillon sounded like this: Round Dodge City, in the territory on west, on the west, in the west. There's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. marshal and the smell of gun smoke. The story of the violence was uh, moved west with young America and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they took for, uh, they look for, and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job that makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Whoa. Okay, I'm almost through with this, but it gets even better. No, keep going. I'm liking this. You're, you're like, you're like a good going. William Conroe played, uh, Conrad played Matt Dillon on the radio, but uh, when the show moved to TV, another Texas favorite, John Wayne. John Wayne was supposed to play Matt Dillon. He decided against it, though, and convinced uh, James Arness, a man who was uh, often his double in movies, to take the role. He was his double in movies? You know, he was his double at times, but he was also... In the movies, I don't know if you remember the movie Hondo, Geraldine yes. Cage was, oh man. Anyway, James Arness started out as being one of the bad guys, but at the end, he helped uh, 
John Wayne, who was Hondo, and as a result, John Wayne gave him his rifle. And uh, I've read where they did have a friendship, James Arness and Son of a Gun. They said, we've got this great series, Gunsmoke and John Wayne, we want you to do it. And he said, I don't think so, but I do know someone who you ought to get. But he James did an Arness. I Love Lucy episode. John Wayne? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He did a Jack Biddy and yes, that was <laughs> that was John Wayne. What a guy. Anyway, on the TV show, uh, it opened in an early season with no narration. It just showed quick draw gunfight between Matt and an outlaw, which Matt won, of course. There's a close-up of Matt's post-fight grimace that seems to say, business as usual, bad guys making bad choices. I hate to interrupt this again, but it's making very important. Making bad choices? The guy he's fighting, you don't see him. He's in a distance there, and it uh, show it goes, da-da-da-da. And that guy may have shot first, but Dylan hit him. And that guy was Kurt Russell's dad. He played in several Gunsmoke movies. Well, you do he played know a lot about this stuff. The Westerns. I really like the Westerns. And I'm trying to think. Tig, his name was something like that. Three letters something. And um, anyway, they even made a documentary on him. Uh, he was Kurt Russell's dad. Anyway, Gunsmoke still has enormous viewership. Almost half a century since it quit putting out new episodes. It's on TV land these days. And based on my own survey of Texans, including my brother, Redneck Dave. Isn't that something? Redneck Dave is the uh, uh, brother of our author here, our storyteller here, and his crowd of six retirees. So Redneck Dave, his brother, and these retirees sit around and watch Gunsmoke. It's on several hours a day in their households. I myself subscribe to the Western Channel so I can watch Gunsmoke. And now that I know that Matt was a Texan, which I always suspected. I'll enjoy it all the more. Man. That's cool. That is cool. You know, one thing about Gunsmoke for me, it was the most believable. It had the believable stories. And it wasn't, oh, every story is going to end in great. It's going to be happy. No. These people were farming out in the desert and everything, it seemed like. And that Dylan went against some tough stuff. Fascinating. Gunsmoke. I... I I don't watch the one-hour shows in color because they stretch out the story so much they make it boring. I like Festus for the first couple of shows, but after a while, Festus's voice great. Oh, I like Festus the whole time. And I, I stabbed you in the heart with the stick. Anyway, that's that well, was know, just all those, all those good bar smoke. scenes. You wouldn't have all those oh, bar man, scenes. Man, tables breaking and all of that. You're I right. Know. Without that happened a lot. Oh boy. Anyway, that you was just count the, on that happening every episode. <laughs> it didn't. I wasn't watching Terry. <laughs> Good grief! Okay, tell us, uh, get us what, what you're going because I happen to know what you're. I just don't know which one you're going first with. Well, I'm I'm going to go ahead and go with that same author. Um, who uh, is W. F. Strong? Get out of here! I know. No, I mean seriously. Get, no, I'm joking. <laughs> W.F. Strong again? Son of a gun. Okay. Yeah, W.F. Strong. And for this one, he he also engaged his wife, Lupita, to help him write this little story. Hmm. Let me make sure I'm correct. Because I want to make sure you get the name right and everything, Lupita. Because yeah. I couldn't remember W.F. Strong to say the word. And... Many people think that Cinco de Mayo is uh, Mexican Independence Day or Margarita Day. 
Well, yeah, to sell them, yes, in Texas. But here's what I found out. Of course, I, I kind of knew this beforehand, but I'm going to take this take on it. And this is from Texas Standard, May 2020. My wife, Lupita, and I celebrating Cinco de Mayo at home Tuesday. We had a couple or so margaritas in honor of General Zaragoza's victory at the Battle of Puebla. Lupita said, I wonder if Texans know what they're celebrating when they party on Cinco de Mayo. She's originally from Mexico, and though she knows history well, she also knows that most Mexicans outside of Puebla don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo as much as people do in Texas. I think many people treat it like they do St. Patrick's Day, a fun theme party of dressing in green, drinking green, a good reason to party without knowing much about the real St. Patrick, she said. To many, Cinco de Mayo is Mexican food, margaritas, and tequila shots. And I'm totally down for that. Oh, here, here. And I bet some Texans would be surprised to know that General Zaragoza was a Texan, and 500 of the men at the battle were Tejanos. Now, on a mission, she downed her margarita and uh, took out her cell to Google it quickly. That's Lupita. 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 She downed her margarita quickly. I was thinking of Viva Zapata. Go ahead. Aha, Mira. Right as usual. She showed me a survey that said only one in ten Americans know Cinco de Mayo's true meaning. 39% think it's Mexican Independence Day. It's not. 26% say it's a celebration of Mexican culture. Eh, eh. 13% of the exceptionally honest say it's a good reason to drink. Most plan to celebrate by eating Mexican food, drinking margaritas, or Mexican beer, or having a Cinco de Mayo party at home. Interesting. I was more focused on the Texas connection myself. I was not surprised by the poor familiarity with the meaning of the date, or troubled by the faux association of Cinco de Mayo with Three Amigos. And their saving of Santo Poco from El Guapo. People gotta, gotta have fun. I knew about Ger General Zaragoza, he says, being a Texan. But I didn't know how deep his Texas roots went. Until I did some digging. Mm -hmm. Pun thoroughly intended, he says. Yes, I see. Okay. He was born in Goliad, 1829, when Texas was part of Mexico, and only a few years before Texas independence. If we look at his full name, Ignacio Zaragoza Seguin, we learn something. That last name, Seguin, was his mother's name. She was from San Antonio and a cousin of of Juan Seguin, who fought Santa Ana in the Texas Revolution, and for whom the city of Seguin is named. Now, Ignacio's father owned 11 leagues of land along the Red River, or about 50,000 acres, according to the Texas Land Office. All right. He bought it for 100 pesos a league. 
That's mind-blowing. You couldn't even buy a square foot of land today for 100 pesos. All this proves is General Zaragoza's Texas Bonafide. When Ignacio was in his early 20s, he joined the Revolutionary Army of Juarez and eventually led an army of volunteers in defeating Santa Ana. Yes, that same Santa Ana. Zaragoza's victory effectively removed Santa Ana as dictator of Mexico. That's another reason we should recognize Zaragoza. Like all good Texans, he despised Santa Ana and wanted him dead so democracy could live. It is astonishing that Santa Ana was in power again 20 years after his humiliating loss at San, San, San Jacinto. Excuse me. But that man had more political lives than a cat. He was president of Mexico 11 times. Good no man ever failed so often and so badly and still managed to claw his way back into power as Santa Ana did. Now, on to Pueblo. The French under Napoleon III wanted to, to make Mexico their own colony in the Americas. They sent a large force of crack troops, 8,000 men, to, make, to take Mexico by storm. Juarez sent General Zaragoza to Puebla to defend Mexico from the imperialist invasion. This was Mexico's San Jacinto moment. Zaragoza had half as many men as the French army. He was definitely the underdog in his fight and was expected to lose badly. The French army's commander had the same haughty attitude that Santa Anna did about Texans. He saw them as riffraff, as commoners. Can you imagine? That's just... Low-bred really? men Sheesh. without discipline. The French commander, Ferdinand, wrote that the Mexicans he faced were a low-race, poorly organized, poorly disciplined, of low morals. And in a uniquely French insult of, military, uh, of a military force, said that they lacked good taste. Mm. General Zaragoza enjoyed a stunning victory over those crack troops of good taste that day. The French lost 500 men at the Battle of Puebla. The Mexican lost, Mexicans lost 100 and sent the French back to the coast. The, the French hadn't lost a battle in 50 years. So this was a demoralizing defeat and a victory of national pride for the Mexicans that cannot be overstated. Sadly, General Zaragoza died four months later of typhoid fever. He was just 33. Well, the typhoid fever, a lot of people got hit by that. Then, yeah. That incident, oh, I'm sorry, is there more? There's just a tad I'm more. I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, you got to get to the margarita part. You do, part. that's where... We don't <laughs> want to miss the margarita exactly. part. Right. So we raise our margarita glasses on Cinco de, Mayo, Cinco de Mayo to salute native Texan General Zaragoza Seguin for removing Santa Ana from power forever and for his San Jacinto like victory at Puebla. Now, wasn't that cool? That was cool. I thought that was cool. It, you know, one thing that uh, people don't see, and I know WF knew, 
the reason France invaded Mexico, people, and I'm, I know you're wondering about this, was because uh, Mexico owed France, the United States, and Germany a lot of money. And uh, Germany and the United States sent ambassadors over, and Mexico said, okay, we'll do this and this, whatever we can do. And uh, they said, okay, we'll leave you alone. France said, no, we want everything, and if we don't get it, we're, well, let's go invade them. And they did because of that, thinking they're going to be there forever. And even though this stuff, what was it, 1862 or something like that, the France did not leave until after the Civil War, when the United States yeah. of America said, we're through fighting, and so France, we could now devote all our time to you, and we will if you stay in Mexico. And France said, okay, we'll leave. Mm -hmm. So we, we had something to do with that. Fascinating. Now, Puebla. I was in Puebla once for several days. It, it is a lovely place. It, I went, um, I was uh, doing my master's at Sam Houston, and they send us to Mexico for like 10 days yeah. to learn the culture, perhaps learn a little bit of language, and to speak at the, um, uh, the Universidad there. And Puebla, we went to Mexico City first. We took a bus to Puebla to this little, little place that began little. And then you, you, once you get past the little churches and the Marquedo and, the, and so forth, there's a metropolis there. It's a very, very interesting place. And it's the only place that I ever saw a taco stand that had... Um, uh, have you ever had a swarma sandwich, the Greek, Arabic, that you... Oh, no, I've seen them. In, and you've yeah, not had one? I know the Brazilians do that, too, but yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. No, I haven't. Anyway, it's, it was called Taco Arabi. Oh. So it had, a, it had the Mexican flavor, and it had um, Arabic flavors, too. Wow. That was cool. You know, I wouldn't know an Arabic flavor if it landed on Well, it. we're going to have to fix that somehow. We are going to. I've mm -hmm. had the Arabic coffee. Wow. Anyway, that was, yeah, Cinco de Mayo. It was yep. not uh, about independence from, they did get their independence in, uh, I think it was 1827, but mm -hmm. what started that was Father Hidalgo. That's correct. This guy gives a speech in front of the church and all. He's a father. He gives his speech and he's talking about, you know, the Spaniards, there were sex different uh, groups in Mexico, uh, with regards to ethnicity, a lot of, you know, Mayans, Aztecs, whatever, breeded with the Spaniards and all, and they were considered underclass. And uh, anyway, the whole deal boiled down to Hidalgo uh, giving the speech. And after he did, <laughs> in 1811, the people were so excited, they said, let's go, we want independence. And he was like, holy cow, I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't saying that. Anyway, they lost the first battle uh, and didn't get their independence until, what, 16 years later. And uh, that's a story that nobody really cares about, I imagine, except if you're in Mexico, you do. That, and that, that's good. That one, um, that's September 16th. So September is um, yeah, Hispanic September Cultural 16th. Month. Oh, okay. So they do celebrate. Well, I know kind Mexico of does, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that is um, uh Hispanic Cultural Month is September, and the 16th is Mexican Independence Day, if I have that correct. I'm sure you do. 
you know, it's kind of like when you hear, oh, uh, tech, uh, the United States got independence in uh, July uh, 4th. Uh, they declared their independence in 76. They didn't get it till eight years later. Uh, heck of a struggle. I wonder if we have time for a scary story or not. Uh, oh, I'd love Let's have a scary just, story. Just do one. Let's do a uh, scary story. Okay. There's several. And what I did, folks, you can Google Texas scary stories or haunted houses or whatever and or find Texas ghost stories. Ghost stories and find billions of, of stories. And I, I would recommend this one thing to you, Terry. If you see stories and they say six scary stories out of Texas Monthly, I like Texas Monthly. But their articles and stories are like a book. They're a, oh. like a novella, novella. Anyway, they're long. And I kept reading this about a ghost in Odessa. And I said, boy, this would be a good story. And I kept reading, kept reading. I can't do this one. This one's silly. I mean, it's not silly. It was very serious. But anyway, we do have some uh, stories. This came from Texas Highway, though. And they're more abbreviated. I'm oh, glad of that. okay. There's five of them. We're not going to get to all of them. But let me uh, put these glosses back on. And read this first part of it because it's uh, weird. The, the uh, Texas Highways Magazine editor guy writes this. Actually, it's a guy named, uh, um, I think it's Nathan. No, he's the Folks, it doesn't matter, okay? I'm sure if I wrote it, I would want people to know. Hurry up before know. the ghost comes exactly. up behind us. Exactly. Anyway, five of the most, uh, this is five of the most haunted uh, locations in Texas, from eerie roads to creepy defunct hospitals. These spots and stories behind them will send chills down your spine. Mm -hmm. Just get ready. For every person now alive, science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke once wrote, There stand 30 ghosts, for that is the ratio by which the dead outnumber the living. Did you know that? Right now, if you uh, count the population of everyone in the world, you get 8.3 billion, something like that. That means there are 30 times that. This is what this guy's saying. People who died. Uh, who oh, have wow. since died over the, and, and I don't know if I believe that or not, and I, I don't think it can be true, proved, but what he's saying is Arthur C. Clarke, being a science fiction writer, likes ghost stories. He's saying every person there is a ghost. Everybody who died is a ghost. I don't want to be a ghost, Terry. I don't, I don't, when I die, I don't want to be one of those ghosts. When you're people. done, you're done? I'm, no, I'm going to, I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm good. Don't get me wrong. I've got everything, uh, yeah, I got problems like everybody. Don't get me started on that, Terry. Anyway, so he says, so it stands to reason that wandering spirits uh, abound in vast state like Texas, from the barren deserts to the west, uh, to the big uh, thickets uh, on the east. Specters have been reported to haunt defunct hospitals, active schools, lonely highways, thriving hotels. Whether you believe in the afterlife or just enjoy a spine-tingling tale, you don't have to look far in Texas for a haunting, sometimes you just need to look over your shoulders. Isn't that the truth? Okay, okay. if you're ever in Saratoga, uh, this story is uh, actually common among uh, many places. If you've never been to Saratoga, what you've got to do is you've got to go to Beaumont. And uh, Liberty is just northwest of uh, Beaumont. And right up there in the triangle is Saratoga. Unless I've got it mixed up with another place. <clears throat> anyway, the Big Thicket is a dense, biodiverse uh, forest region in East Texas. A few tribes, including the Alabama Cushata and the Cato, hunted from the edges, but it was essentially uncharted territory 
When Anglo settlers arrived in 1830 seeking solitude to hunt and carve out sub, uh, subsistent farms, swampy, dark, and difficult to penetrate, it was a destination for people who didn't want to be found. Oil and lumber operations rendered the terrain more accessible, but the big thicket remains plenty dense and mysterious today. In the heart of the big thicket is Hardin County, and in the heart of Hardin County is infamous Bragg Road, mm. home to countless sightings of the Ghost Road Light. Woo! It's the Big Thicket Light, Saratoga Light, and the Brad Road Light. It's got many names. Uh, that appears uh, uh, to nighttime travelers on the road between Saratoga and the defunct village of Bragg Station. Before the current road was built, the Arrow Strait Clearing served at as a Santa Fe Railroad's branch line built in 1903. Straight as an arrow, cleared and all. Uh, from its inception, locals considered the line haunted by Mexican laborers murdered by thieving foremans and uh, a re recalcitrant, uh, you can help me with that later, deserter shot by Confederate soldiers. A hunter lost forever in the woods <clears throat> and a decapitated railroad brakeman search for his searches for his head. But all the stories share a common theme, a floating orb or light. The road replaced the railroad tracks in 1934, but the light remained, seen by hundreds of people over the decades. In the 1960s, Archer Fullington, uh, Fullingham, iconoclast editor of the Kuntz News, <clears throat> excuse me, spread uh, its notoriety in articles. National Geographic published a clear photo of the light in 1974, feature about the big thicket. Texas folklorist Francis Abernathy documented sighting stories uh, from old-timers and young folks alike. In 1997, Hardin County designated Bragg Road as Ghost Road Scenic Drive Park. A pretty road through the woods in the daytime turns into a spooky spot for supernatural sightings by night. Word is that the most uh, is the most auspicious times to set the, uh, see the light is in the moonless autumn nights. Dare you go. Written by M.M. Pack. Um, wow. Lights. Uh, you know, when I think of that, lights in the distance and all, makes me think of the Marfa lights. Have you seen those? No. Tell me. Uh, Marfa is way out there. It's uh, west of Alpine, and the, all the land is flat as all get out. And Kay and I took a train out there from Houston, and it was a, a trip that I will never try again. Train travel sounds wonderful, but this was terrible. And Terry, the you're sitting at a window, and it should be a window. The windows up here, and the seat in front of you is there, so you've got... Oh, it's just so terrible. This was on uh, not the uh, uh, scenic route at all, but it was bad. Anyway, we went there, and uh, we were sitting uh, behind this guy that lived in Alpine, and he was saying, oh, the Marfa lights are great, but you're never going to see them. You're not going to see them. Uh, you know, they come out periodically and I've been out there I live I've lived in uh, Alpine for you know however many years said so I've never seen him it's okay and I you know we went and uh, two nights later we said let's go see the Marfa lights we drove out and it's like a roadside park out there because they're used to people stopping there and we stopped and we got out and folks it's dark it's darker than dark which is really like dark and out there Kay and I are looking you know we're not going to see I said holy smokes look at that there was a light, and another one joined it, and then they started hopping around, and then there were a few over there, and 
Really? Yeah, that guy, I wanted to go find this guy and mm. drag his buns out there and say, look. But, uh, and people today still don't know. And the thing is, they say, oh, it's car lights being reflected from some, it's a mirage of something. There are stories where pioneers and, uh, in, and Native Americans were out there and they have stories of these lights. So they've been there for a good while. Mm. I don't imagine they're supernatural, but uh, probably some kind of chemical thing. One thing I do know, they're not swamp gas. I tell you, that area is drier than dry. Oh, wow. Anyway, wow. But that was, um, did you know how... That sounds cool. That oh, sounds good cool. Do we have time for another story or just kill it? What do you think? Next week. I have no idea how long. I have long. no idea. I don't either. You normally, but, we have a clock here. People normally were very professional. And... Uh, uh, I, I just love listening to those stories, so I'll tell you that. Okay, let me read this one, if you don't mind, okay. and then we'll kill it. Don't okay. We won't, because All I've right. been to this place, and it uh, I went there with a, a ghost hunter. And, uh, you went there with a ghost hunter? Yeah, this lady. First uh, of all, what's a ghost hunter? It's uh, a person, in this case it's a lady, that believes in, you know, there's ghosts everywhere. And what they do is they go, they hear, where, okay, there's a spook house. I mean, there's an old house here people go to. Mm-hmm. And so they go there with their cameras and their thermometers and all kinds of stuff, and they film blackness. I mean, it's just dark, and their film's going, ooh, an orb, uh, ooh, this and that. Anyway, this is a story about, let me read it, and I'll okay. tell you what happened to, to okay. me in this story. I'm not in the story, folks, so get that off your mind. It was, it's in the A&M. It's, it's called the Agricultural AI Building. Uh, and in 1959, Roy Sims, foreman of the Meat Locker in Texas A&M University's old annual industries uh, building. By the way, what they did is they trained A&M agriculture students how to butcher beef in everything just to give them an idea you know you're going to be breeding cows here's the, this part of the cow we'll cut it off and do this so and i'm sure they sold their meat but it was particularly just for students to learn how to uh, do something like that anyway this foreman's there and, and he was performing a bit of routine butchery on a slab of bacon as he was cutting toward himself the knife slipped in his hand stabbing his leg near the groin boy that hurts hmm. And uh, the blade cut open his femoral artery. His assistant, who'd uh, stepped out for a moment, returned to find him bleeding out on the floor. As ambulances, as an ambulance was summoned by in vain, Simmons died before he could be removed from the building. Uh, Sims' death uh, was a tragic accident, but it doesn't take much for tragic accidents to take on a more ghostly cast. In the daytime, we never thought much about any ghost or strange occurrences, said Jeffrey Sable, the Texas A&M professor who was an undergrad and grad student in the 1970s. It was the nights when we were in the meat laboratory conducting research, usually by ourselves, that one would hear strange noises or feel like they were not alone. Over the years, Sable says uh, students and custodians working in the bowels of the building have reported invisible uh, footsteps, strange noises, and objects scattered far from their original resting spots. Sable attributes many of these stories to the natural spookiness of an old building and noisy machinery such as the elevator and the refrigeration compressor. A series of renovations of the building have turned the site of Sims' accident into an office space. Whether or not Sims' ghost roams the hallway, Sable says, 
One thing uh, keeping his memory alive is a lesson offered by his death. It became a precautionary tale each semester as we visited with students among uh, about safety and meat cutting. It gets uh, their attention uh, when you tell them that someone actually died uh, in a knife accident cutting uh, bacon. Wow. That um, I wow. had never heard of this before, but this lady, Lady, said, you know, uh, you know, you write an article and all, would you like to go visit with me? I'm going on a ghost place to A&M. I said, well, yes, sounds good. I don't know when this was or I would find the article, but the office is upstairs that they're talking about. Downstairs is the dungeon where this meat packing, I mean, meat cutting place was. We went down there and uh, it's cold and dank and there's a restroom over there. I think it's only a men's room. I don't think they even have a lady's room in this place. Uh, I could be wrong, but I didn't visit that place. Uh, but it was, I mean, it's one of those old, yeah, gotcha. long urinal things. I don't, yeah. <laughs> she knows all about the men's room. Anyway, uh, Terry, I'm joking. It's a joke. Anyway, we went down there and <clears throat> this lady, lady, cuts the lights off with her. She's got a, two assistants. And I'm telling you, you cannot see anything. And so we're listening and she's videoing stuff. And then she's looking at, after, you know, 30 minutes, she cuts it off. Okay, there's an orb because a light went by. I don't know what it was. Did the camera make it or what? But, and there's another one. And one thing that I could not understand, but uh, they always say this, when a ghost is nearby, the temperature falls. It gets cooler. And there's no question. She said, come here. And I went, oh, my gosh, it's very cool in this area. Oh, wow. And the scariest thing I did is uh, I said, I'll tell you what. The lights came on again and said, when you turn the lights off, I see where the door to this huge restroom is, and I'm going to go over there in the dark, and I'm going to stand in there and just for a while see if I hear or whatever. So she turned the lights off, Terry, and I crawled across that wall like this. I mean, I'm feeling the wall. I opened the door, and I stepped. I'd been in there before just looking around, and it's darker than dark. And I did the stupidest thing. It's what she was doing. She was asking a ghost to come up and visit her. And I'm a Christian. And I believe in spirits and all. And uh, I uh, think I'm protected from that stuff. So like an idiot, I was in there. And I, uh, and I just said, uh, look, if anybody's in here, I'm, uh, I'm kind of scared. But uh, maybe you could make yourself known. And that alone is encouraging stuff. And I stood there and I listened and listened. And there was nothing. And it took me only about 40 minutes to get out of the place because I had to, you know, feel, <laughs> oh, I don't like this. It was, anyway, as it turned out, it was good for an article, but uh, I didn't really see anything. But uh, Maybe I next time. I have never summoned another ghost, nor no, would I. No, maybe next time. Fascinating article. I'll tell you what. I think we should continue this in our next show, and I think you should start with another ghost story. Ooh. I think I that really, be, really do. Hey, you got me on my uh, toes. Yeah. And I don't know what that means. Yeah. So, um, this is Mark Hader, and I'm Terry Woods, and we're Texas Storytellers, brought to you by Woodlands Online. You can watch this show on Woodlands Online, a Roku channel over the air on KVQT HD 21. Woohoo! You can listen to this on woodlandsonline.com slash podcast or iTunes, 
iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or watch the video version on woodlandsonline.com. See you next time. Next time, folks. Mm-hmm.